We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. I know we have a lot of different like backgrounds on what uh, going to church was like, and so I hope some of you will forgive me keeping my hat on this morning. I'm still trying to warm up from outside, and these days, without hair on my head, it takes a little more effort to stay warm up there. So, a uh, <clears throat> long time ago, when I was about 19, and I had hair up here, uh, I was dating this girl that I had had a crush on all throughout high school, and so life was going well. I had a good paying job. I was living in an apartment with a roommate and dating this girl that I hoped to date for a long time. And then she dumped me and I was devastated and I was moping around my apartment like a sick little puppy and I was sad. And then my old youth pastor called me up and said, hey, would you be willing to come back and do a teaching for our youth group on love? And I was like, I don't even know what love is right now. Love, And so I thought about it, and I, I put some effort into it, and I, and I came up with something that I shared with them, with this youth group, when I was not much older than them at 19. And it started kind of like this. Patrick, you can hit the next slide. I beg for guidance and form an alliance with angels to seek a love unbiased and free from angles. A love that's priceless and faithful. But not about me, cause selfish love is hateful And I'm grateful to finally find the love of my life Someone with me through the pain, the rain, strain and strife But not a wife, that's only till death do you part But the one who formed the intricacies of my heart And that's all I remember cause it was 20 years ago It also seemed much more appropriate 20 years ago with a bunch of teenagers reason I share this, a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, I stole the very first line from some dude off the internet, and this is back when there was dial-up and message boards and things like that. Number two, I was trying way too hard to impress a group of teenagers I didn't know. And number three, I don't remember what the rest of my message was, but I can guarantee you pretty much heard the gist of it right now. It was pretty lacking in substance. But the reality is, like, that's how many of us have experienced love in our world, isn't it? That it starts off somewhat surprising, right? And some of you are still wondering, what just happened? <laughs> and then slowly after time, that wears off and you're like, oh, this is it, okay, right? And, and, and the feelings start to subside a little bit. Love seems to grow cold. Things get mundane, things get you know, ordinary routine, day after day, and you go, is, is this it? Am I still here for this, right? And that's what many people experience love as. And so what you do is you start looking for the next high to bring you back up again. The next surprise, right? The next surprising element that's gonna like wake you up and shock you. And that's why sometimes in relationships, uh, when someone starts to, experience something somewhere else outside of their relationship that's like, oh, this is new. What is this? That's why sometimes people will choose to be unfaithful in that and go toward that. And so with us knowing that that's how a lot of people experience that idea of love in the world, I want us to also recognize the reality that a lot of times we choose to experience love in that way. 
And I'm not talking just about romantic relationships, but even our relationship with our friends, right? Sometimes our friends can start to bore us or maybe like make us mad, right? Or our relationship with our church community or our relationship with our kids or kids with your parents. Like I know we drive you crazy at times, right? And, and when that starts to kind of wear off, that dopamine hit you got of those good feelings, what then? We've been trying to define each of our Advent terms over this last month, hope, joy, peace, and now today, love. And so I wanna offer a definition for us this morning for what love is not and for what we believe biblical love is. We say that love is not just a dopamine high. Right? There is a, there's a chemical reaction, if you don't know what dopamine is. There's a chemical reaction in your brain, right? Where you, like, you get this increased level of dopamine, and it feels really good at times. But that wears off. Love is not just that good feeling. I think we have the definition, Patrick, if you can put on the screen. Love is not just a dopamine high, but instead, it is the continual keeping of covenant Commitment. See, I've moved from rap now to pastoral alliteration, okay? It is the continual keeping of covenant commitment. Let's talk about what that means. Because what is covenant? That's a word we don't use in our vocabulary now, right? But it's, a, it's just a word on its simplest level. That means a deepest form of partnership and commitment. So when God comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him, He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will make a nation out of you. I'll give you a land. He says, I'm making a covenant with you. And what God does is he sets up this elaborate uh, procession where they go through, where actually Abram has to cut apart this animal and lay each half on each side. And he's told that you're supposed to walk through it. And this was a, a custom that would have happened in that day where you walk through it, both partners in this covenant, making a partnership together, walking through that saying, in effect, if I break my part of this partnership, may this happen to me. May I be torn in two, right? Like that's a, that's a serious partnership. That's a serious level of commitment right there. We don't do that in our wedding ceremonies today. Right? We don't say, hey, if, if you guys break your vows. No, I didn't say Siri. <laughs> Even when I put it on do not disturb. That, that's a serious level of commitment, right? And so we don't do that in our weddings today. But what God does with Abraham is he says, go ahead and, and prepare this. And then he puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And then God himself walks through, passes through. God is saying, I am going to keep this covenant with you. And guess what? Abraham didn't always give God the warm fuzzies, right? Israel did not always raise that level of dopamine for God. You and I, we don't always make God feel all nice inside. And yet God continually moves toward his people. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, they keep talking over and over again about his steady, faithful unfailing love, his steadfast love that endures forever. Why? Not because he's just so enamored with Israel and he looks at him, he's like getting butterflies in his stomach, right? No, no, because he continually makes the intentional effort to move toward them. That's what we're saying love is. And so 
I wrote down these four words here, that love is intentional, it's relational, it's sacrificial, and it's actionable. I actually uh, was going to change that last word to missional, but I feel like you guys hear that word all the time. So, uh, And I want to talk about what each of those four words mean. But before I do, let me just give a little caveat, okay? Let me give a little disclaimer here. Because I think a lot of times when we start talking about this, there are people who have been in certain relationships, romantic or not, that you feel like, no, no, there's good reason to give up on this. There's good reason to walk away, to put up boundaries. So I just want to say this, like God is the only person who has what it takes to withstand an abusive relationship. And he has done just that for humanity throughout time. Being ridiculed by, being uh, left and, and cheated on by, being bruised and beaten and murdered by, and he still keeps coming back. But God is the only one who really has what it takes to do that. And he does not ask us to do that to the same level with other humans. It is okay to have some boundaries on some level, okay? There's two extremes I wanna, I wanna talk about here where people could go with this. And I wanna address both of them. But first, like in an abusive relationship, it is okay to move away from that. And what happens a lot of times in the history of the Western church is we said, there's only one reason to get a divorce, right? In, in the context of marriage. Uh, and because Jesus cites one of those about being unfaithful. And yet, just because he, he, he listed an example doesn't negate the other reasons because actually back in Exodus 34, God talks about giving provision for a certificate of divorce when a woman is not being cared for. It included her not being fed, her, the, the bills not being paid, right? And not having clothing. It was like the normal things you need to make it through life because in that context, uh, the man was the one who could work and provide for. And so what did a woman have hope to do but to after leaving her father, find a husband who could then take care of everything. And so what would happen is in neglect, which is abuse, when these women weren't being cared for, God provided a way for them to go find provision. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds of all that, but what I'm saying here is this, that God cares about each of us and he doesn't want violence done to any of us. And when that's happening, forgiveness is amazing and good and we need that. But also your safety is a part of that too. So I want to throw that caveat out there just because I, I never know who is experiencing that as we have these conversations. And I think a lot of times I've talked to people over the years who have been told, you need to stay in an abusive relationship because God hates divorce. And I just want to say, like, I think God hates violence as well. Okay, and so if you, I know that raises a bunch of questions with a lot of things we've all been taught over years. And so if you want to dialogue more about that in particular later, I'm open for that. Uh, but for now, I'm going to move on to the other extreme. Because the other extreme in our culture is this. It's, oh, this relationship's toxic because someone didn't agree with me. This relationship's toxic because they've said something that I didn't like and it triggered a trauma that I've had. We're like, well, yeah, but you were being a jerk and it needed to be said. How about that, right? Uh, so we're so quick just to cancel people. 
and to set up these boundaries and push people away out of relationship. And yet we see a God who has not canceled us in a toxic relationship where we have not upheld our part of this covenant. God continues to move toward us. And so safety is important. Violence is never good. If you're in a situation like that, we would love to help you if you're in that. And yet, what I want to say is this. Uh, I am going to err toward us moving toward one another and not quitting when things get difficult or hard. Because we have a God who does that for us. We have a God who does all four of those things. He is intentional with his love, right? Intentional. This is a God who at the very beginning of all things, he actually came down and walked with the humans he created that he continues to move toward them over and over and over again. He's sacrificial. At his own expense, he gave his son. At his own expense, Jesus gave his life. Sacrificial love. Here's a good one, relational. Because we could start talking about love in all those ways I just said, and it sounds like, man, you're just doing your duty, right? This is really hard, but you gotta slug it out. But love is also relational. We were just uh, at the movie night here the other night. Anthony was talking about how in the youth group, uh, it came up that you guys were talking about, and I was like, I don't, what do you guys talk about in your youth times together? But you guys were talking about someone who has the longest name in the world, right? And it's like over a thousand characters or something, letters. Uh, and so there's like a little clip from Oprah he played for us, and she starts saying her name, and it's just like a string of all these names together, and she was going on forever. She had to take five breaths in between to say her own name, and I was like, God knows her name, you know? Like, and I know it sounds silly, but like, he does. Now, God also has a habit throughout scripture of changing people's names, and he probably will do that with her, but <laughs> like, we have a God who knows us by name, who knows every hair on your head, who knitted you together in your mother's womb. He's a relational God. It's not just doing your duty and dying to yourself constantly, but actually entering into a relationship of being known. It's so good. And it's missional. That yes, he said, I am going to intentionally and sacrificially move toward you, but it's always been for a purpose. It's always been for the purpose of restoring us in relationship with him and restoring us in relationship with each other and restoring us in relationship with the created earth that he made for us to care over and to experience and enjoy, to set all things right. And so let's take a little look at that kind of love. Let's turn to John chapter 15. And to set the scene a little bit here, what Jesus has just done, this is uh, at the Last Supper, this discourse that happens here in John 15. And he had just washed the feet of his disciples and he's getting ready to be captured in the garden here in a moment by some Roman guards and be taken to this place called Skull Hill or Golgotha where he will be murdered. But Jesus says this to his friends. He knows all this is coming and he says this in verse 12 of chapter 15. 
This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. He says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Jesus's last thing he wants to say to his friends who have been living with him day in, day out, night after night, day after day for three years is love one another in the way that I've loved you. Now we hear that and we go, okay, we know he's about to go die, right? He's about to go give his life for them. And so here's the message, you guys. We need to be willing to lay down our lives for one another. And then probably like in our heads, we're all like, okay, if the situation ever arises, if like someone comes in here with a gun, I'm gonna jump in front. I'm gonna take a bullet for you guys, okay? But like until that happens, you guys irritate me. Like, <laughs> can't stand you guys. You know, like we, we can go there because we know we have this like safety net. That's likely never gonna happen. Here's the thing. I will probably never have to die literally for any of you. And you will probably never have to die literally for anybody in here. But if Jesus is saying, be willing to give your very life for somebody, what do you think he's also including with that? Maybe to give your time. If you're willing to give your life for somebody, could you give a little of your time for somebody? Maybe some of your, your finances, maybe some of your, your schedule, maybe some of your comfort for another person. Are you willing to, to sit down with this other person even when they irritate you? Right? How, how quickly do we back off of those relationships because they're uncomfortable? And remember, this moment is sandwiched between two very loving events. Not just, <laughs> that sounds so weird to say because this is the ultimate show of love, but not just the event that's going to happen when he lays down his life for his friends, but also their feet are still wet from the moment before. And Judas is even in the room, the one who betrays him. Jesus, in all humility, takes the garment from off of him and he gets down and he starts cleaning their dirty, nasty feet they're traveling through the mud and poo feet. And he gets down close where you can smell it and it's getting on him. And he dries it off with the robe he was wearing. This is the move that a servant would do. A, a bond servant, a slave who lives in the house, they would have to do this. And they're like, we got servants here, Jesus. You don't got to do this. But Jesus taking on this posture of humility and of sacrificial and intentional and relational love at all expense to himself, 
He doesn't just give his life. He also gives. He gives his, his status, his posture. He gives his, he, he comes down into lonely, lowliness. He gives his high place of authority. He gives his time. He gives his comfort. And he moves toward them and says, this is how I want you to love one another. The same way I have loved you. What does that look like for us today? Because we don't, we don't really have to wash people's feet, do we? But what would it look like for us to metaphorically wash people's feet today? How can we serve one another in a way that it shows the intentional, relational, sacrificial love of Jesus to other people, even at our own expense? To one another here in this room, to people who need to know the love of Jesus in your life? What does that look like? Now, here's the thing. You can go out from here and you could try really hard to do this, right? You can start brainstorming what does feet washing look like today? And you can go, okay, I guess I got to do this. Like, this is something we're, we're forced to do now, even when we don't feel like it. And you're going to fail miserably. Just speaking from experience. Because we, we need something to be the source of that love that's sending us out. And that's why Jesus doesn't just say, go and love one another. He says, love one another as I have loved you, as you have received this love. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, we love because God first loved us. If we are not in tune with that love, if we aren't reminding ourselves daily, moment by moment of God's great love for us when we were unworthy of it, then we will have nothing. We will have a dry well to be able to love other people with. And listen, Jesus says, there's no greater love than laying down your life for a friend. And I call you friends now. I no longer call you servants. But do you know what's crazy about that? Like he's not just calling us to love friends, right? Let's go to Romans 5 real quick. I'll just read it from the screen, Patrick. If you Romans 5, verses seven through nine. For rarely, Paul writes this, rarely someone will die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Like maybe some of you legitimately in here are like, yeah, I would take a bullet for these three people in the room, but nobody else, right? Rarely though, like maybe many of us would probably just like run out of the room. Rarely that's gonna happen. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners. I know that word, loses its meaning after time. If you've heard it over and over again, like while you were still rebellious against God, while you were still spitting in his face, while you were still turning away from him, turning your back on him saying, no, 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 I want nothing to do with you. Let me live life my way. I know you gave me this life, but I'm gonna do it my way. While we were enemies, this is what he goes on to say, Christ died for us. How much more than since we have now been justified by his blood, we'll be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, not friends, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? Jesus says no greater love is there than to lay down your life for a friend. And then he calls them friends, knowing that they were once his enemies. 
Why? Because they failed their side of keeping the covenant. And yet God, he kept it and moved toward us intentionally, sacrificially, relationally, even when it cost him everything. You guys know John 3.16? Go, go ahead and say it if you know it. Good job, you guys. Pat yourselves on the back. Well done. Lots of people know this verse, right? Uh, don't let it, again, because you hear it all the time, lose its meaning, right? Don't let it lose its luster. Don't let the, the dopamine effect of that wear off over time. Catch what has just been read. God has continued to love the world in such a way that he gave his very son. Now, here's the thing. That's John 3.16. Who knows 1 John 3.16? Who wants to recite that for us real quick? Don't worry, I set you up to fail. Sorry, let's put it on the screen. 1 John 3, 16, we'll read through 18. This is how we have come to know love. Interesting, they're both verses about love, right? He laid down his life for us. Who is that talking about? Jesus. John 3, 16 tells us about the love of the father giving his own son. 1 John 3, 16 tells us about the love of the son willingly giving his life. They were in partnership with this from the very beginning. This was a plan they had all along. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? You catch what just was done right there. John knows you're not going to have to, I mean, in their day, it actually was more likely, but he knows there's going to be less of you who are going to have to actually give your life. So he says, we should also lay down our lives for brothers and sisters, and then goes on to say, if you have a way of actually physically caring for somebody with a need they have and you willingly don't do it, he goes as far as to ask the question, how is God's love in you? I, listen, I would feel really uncomfortable saying that to you guys right now. Good thing I don't have to. It's, it was written down in the Bible by this guy, John, who was known as the apostle Jesus loved inspired by the Holy Spirit generations and generations ago. This is God's word. If we don't show that love, how is God's love in us? Remember, we love because he first loved us. Out of the well of God's love within us, we can extend this kind of love to others. Little children, let us not love in just word or speech, but in action and truth that we actually live this out. And we live it out in such a way that we're not just faking it either, right? I love that, in action and in truth. That we're not just like trying to muster up these actions outside so people would see and go, oh, there's a good Christian. I, I guess Chris really does know the love of God if he's willing to do that for somebody. And inside I'm just like, oh my goodness, I cannot stand, you know, like that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about trying harder. We're talking about sitting in the love of God and letting that compel you, letting that fuel you, letting that energize you, letting that strengthen you to go and love the way Jesus has loved us, to be willing to lay down our life and our preferences, to be willing to die and to be willing to die to ourself, to be willing to give 
of our time and our energy and even our comfort sacrificially and intentionally so that people can experience the relational love of God. It doesn't just become all burdensome and drudgery, right? Like when you actually move toward one another, you enter into that dopamine high from time to time. Uh, you, you do get to experience the joy of it. We had, uh, our MC was sitting around and we were talking about love, going through Advent stuff. And Anthony, I don't think you were there. Bethany asked Jill a question to try to illustrate something for the, the teenagers that were in the room with us because we were asking them like, what, what is love? And they started explaining things. And so Bethany was like, hey, do you always feel like the warm and fuzzies for Anthony? Sorry, Jill, I'm outing you right now in front of everybody. She was like, absolutely, I do. Anthony's amazing. <laughs> She's like, 100% of the time, without fail, couldn't have asked for a better husband. Um, no, the last part's true. But she was like, no. <laughs> and her and Bethany both went on for a little while <laughs> about how you don't always feel really good about your spouse every morning you wake up, right? Don't worry, I got it too. But, but here's the thing. But as they were talking through that, what they were saying is, but when you intentionally make that decision to keep with this covenant that you made, when you intentionally make that decision every day to sacrificially move toward this other person, you know what happens is you do experience, you're reminded of why you're in a relationship with that person in the first place. You, you then start to see God change their heart too. And then God change your heart, right? And, and then you experience like the love of God moving through the two of you. And you get to enjoy one another's presence. Yes, there's times you don't, but there's also times you really, really do. And that's not just true of marriage. That's true of your relationship with God. There's gonna be times you don't feel it, Right? There's gonna be times you feel like he's distant. He's not. He's Emmanuel still, God with us. Keep making the intentional move toward him as he keeps moving toward you. And you will. You'll remember your first love. You'll remember why. Why you said, I'm gonna give my life to following after this God. Because I remember how much he's loved me. That's true of relationships in this room right? Like there's a lot of weird stuff that's happened in our world over the last couple of years. And let's be honest, a lot of us have made weird decisions and weird responses based out of it, right? And we're all on different pages with a lot of those things. Like let's remember why we're a community together. Let's remember why we sit in this room every Sunday and why many of you sit in each other's homes throughout the week. And it's not because of those preferences that we're all disagreeing on. It is because the love of God has filled us and we can now love because he has first loved us. Amen.